0: Welcome to the IBSI podcast. This is Gaia Lampetti, and today I'm joined by James Booth, Vice President and Head of Partnerships at Ppro. Hi, James, and thank you for joining us.
1: Hi, Gaia. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Lovely. Well, great. Let's kick off with an overview on Ppro. And maybe as you lead the partnerships at the company, you would like to share with us some of the recent deals and upcoming partnerships with Ppro.
1: Sure. No, happy to, happy to give you a quick overview. So, um, for those of you that don't know about PPRO, uh, we're we're an infrastructure provider for local payment methods. So, at the end of the day, we work with all of the local alternative payment networks that PSPs essentially want to offer their merchants. So, we're talking about everything that's not Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or the standard rails. We work We work in the alternatives that sit next to them. And it's a, very, it's a very niche part of the payments landscape, but it's becoming more and more relevant as digital payments explode. So if you're a PSP, an acquiring bank, a gateway, et cetera, and you want access to a variety of local payment methods, be it bank transfer methods in Europe, be it e-wallets in Asia Pacific, Alipay or WeChat Pay, or cash payments in Brazil, uh, be it Boleto Bancario or OXO in Mexico. It's very complicated and it's a lot of work and a lot of operational overhead connecting into all of these schemes and managing the connections. So at we homogenize and we look after all of that infrastructure for payment service providers so they can concentrate on the front end and actually selling these solutions to merchants. So if you look out in the payment space, our clients are... A lot of these payments businesses out there, I and mean, when they say they're offering Alipay, WeChat Pay, or Ideal, or OneContact, Contact, or Jira Pay, in, in many cases it's PPRO powering those connections and powering those payments in the background.
0: That sounds great. Well, thank you. And you know, in this context, payments are actually changing a lot quickly. The industry is evolving, and it's moving away from uh, the traditional monopoly of card payments to new methods what are some of these new methods and what is behind this shift we are witnessing right
1: now? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at local payment methods or as, as, as some people out there like to refer, refer it to as alternative payment methods, they've, they've actually been around for a long time. Um, I mean, bank transfer methods in Europe have been around for about 15 years or so, or even longer. They really started off in more high-risk industries where it was difficult to accept payments or they would maybe be rejected by a Visa or MasterCard or a traditional acquirer because of the high-risk nature of these businesses. However, that dramatically changed about five years ago and these payment methods started to become more mainstream. More mainstream or low-risk merchants wanted to diversify their payment offering because consumer preferences in each country were starting to change. So you know, as smartphones became more common, as as shopping online became more common, the act of punching in a, a manual credit card number, your, your expiry date and your CVV became, yeah, became too much, became a point of friction. And that's where e-wallets became a bit popular. That's with bank transfers, where you can authenticate through your mobile phone or you can just scan your face or scan your fingerprints became popular. So now, actually, if you look at it on a, on a global basis, local alternative payment methods are some of the fastest growing payment methods out there. Um, and they're starting to compete for traditional rails. So an example being um, maybe one comparison is uh, credit cards versus buy now, pay later schemes. So traditionally, if you wanted to buy on credit, you would get a credit card from your bank, it would be branded Visa, MasterCard, or American Express and you'd obviously you'd, you'd take on credit through that credit card. Now, instead of doing that, you can go shop online through a firm, Klarna, Afterpay, et cetera, and you can pay via installments, you can pay by four, you can manage all of this through an app or through a web login, and it just provides consumers more flexibility, more options, more visibility. There's also other use cases such as e-wallets. So in, in China, Alipay and WeChat Pay became... Extremely popular because not only were they a payment app, but they had a whole host of solutions within the app. So you know, if, a lot of people have heard about super apps. Now, Alipay it's a payment app, but you can also hail a taxi, you can do your grocery shopping, you can do in-store shopping, you can play games, you can download videos. WeChat Pay started off as a chat app, and now it's actually turned into a payments e-wallet. So there's a lot of these different use cases that are popping up around the world. And I think the key theme here is, it's all driven by consumer preferences and the consumer's shift towards digital payments and a digital first lifestyle. Uh, I mean, we've even seen this over the past few years because of the COVID pandemic. We've all been forced into into our homes, we've been forced away from shopping centers and and eating out. Luckily, the world's slowly getting back uh, back together but it caused a huge portion of our population to be forced to shop online for the first time or to order groceries online. And the payments experience is, is actually the, one of the cornerstones towards to, to buying online. And it's these new experiences and these new demands that are causing different payment methods to pop up in, in, in the payments landscape. So it's a fast-moving industry. I think there's going to be even more disruption and more change. But the common theme is we're all going to move towards a digital first payments acceptance versus walking around with pieces of plastic in our pockets to to pay online.
0: Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, if we if we place it in the context of the past 18 months, probably. Um, But my next question will be, James, in your opinion, how close are we to that scenario of shifting to the digital-only approach when it comes to payments, particularly because a hot topic for the past few weeks has been Amazon's decision to ban, basically stop accepting visa cards on the platform. So my question will be, is this the beginning of a huge movement that will slowly discard her credit cards or is this a sort of exception that will
1: not last very long? So, I mean, I, do, I don't think credit cards are going to entirely disappear. I just think the, the way we use a credit card is going to fundamentally change over the next few years. Because I think, I mean, if we look at this Amazon Visa case in particular, I think a lot of that is driven by well, one thing obviously is, is price. Um, it's, it's it's been well known that credit card prices have been rising over time, and there's been no yeah there's been no increased utility or increased uh, benefit for merchants to still accept these these payment methods. They never had an option in the past, whereas now there's a whole host of options that merchants can use to accept payments from their consumers. In the UK, there's open banking, there's buy now pay later products. And it's giving merchants more confidence to be able to shift shift around and try a different payment method. Now, it's just the tip of the iceberg because I think we are at the very beginning of a shift. I don't, I don't expect small merchants or even mid-size or large merchants anywhere in Europe, UK or, or the US to stop accepting cards. I think they always will accept cards. But I think there's going to be a significant shift over the next three to five years towards a more holistic, payments acceptance. Um, you, you, I mean, you even find today, if you look at shopping online, there's only a handful of merchants out there depending on the consumer that can use a buy now pay later product or can use an e-wallet or can use an open banking method. Whereas if you go to Asia Pacific, it's a completely different scenario. Almost like 90, 95% of, of the websites will accept an e-wallet. You almost, it's, it's table stakes at that point in time. So, I think I think for the Western world, we're playing catch up and it's it's been happening over the past five years, but we're going to see an increased acceleration now towards towards this digital first approach. But it's it's not going to happen overnight.
0: And it links back to your previous answer, as you were saying, you know, if the demand starts from the customers. So different regions might have yeah. different approaches and different time frames. Depending on what customers prefer, and I used to
1: exactly, yeah. There's different different consumer preferences maybe drive the drive the need for payment methods to adopt different solutions. But then there's also there's a whole host of factors like local regulation. What are you actually allowed to do in country? Cross border regulation or or um, um, money transmitter regulation that maybe might make cross border transactions a little bit more difficult. And then there's obviously the technology side. You have have some regions where e-commerce is just more advanced than other regions. They have more up-to-date shipping infrastructure or tools and services to support everything around the e-commerce industry. So those are the the countries that will probably start accelerating and maybe other regions will start investing in that infrastructure now for a five, 10-year period.
0: Great. Right. But e-commerce and online merchants do have quite a lot of power when it comes to shaping uh, the payments, yes. yeah. especially, you know, in the aftermath of the pandemic, now that e-commerce is, the least to say is that it's it has become mainstream. Um, so what are some of the ways e-commerce has been shaping the payment space recently and how is this going to affect future trends and the transformation we were discussing about
1: yeah so i mean i think there's been a variety of things in the in the e-commerce space in particular i mean if you look at if you look at maybe kind of small or micro merchants on that level there's been an increased um almost a um it's almost been a consolidation of specific platforms so generally going and shopping or selling your goods on a marketplace now it's pretty standard. Whereas a few years ago, you'd maybe try to build a small website or you'd try a host of different things. Now, if you're if you're a micro merchant, you're going to go straight to one of the big marketplaces. So getting access to a broad set of consumers is, is very quick. If you go to almost the mid-size retailers, again, there's a the whole host of out-of-the-box solutions that can enable almost any business to become e-commerce ready from payments, to the website, to logistics, to marketing and advertising, almost overnight. And then obviously on the enterprise level, it's, it's generally more custom, but they've been investing in it for a while. So we find, especially now compared to a few years ago, that the, the e-commerce infrastructure is really built for scale. A lot of merchants will decide, should I build my e-commerce platform? or should I buy it?" And that was a decision that used to happen in the past, whereas now you're generally going to buy it. No merchant is gonna go out there and build their own payment stack or build their own um, warehousing uh, um, backend or inventory management system or website, even for that fact. They'll use out-of-the-box tools which will just allow them just to go to market extremely quickly. Um, I think in general, what we're seeing now with payments and e-commerce is the same thing we saw with cloud computing maybe about 10 years ago. If you're a big digital business or a big technology business, you probably owned a lot of your data centers or you you would think about building your own data centers. Whereas if you're a business today, you're just going to go straight to AWS or Azure or Google Cloud or Alibaba Cloud. And the same shift is happening with e-commerce. Instead of wanting to build the full stack, they're just going, okay, there's a whole host of providers out there that give me exactly what I want. I can pay them a reasonable fee, and I can just go to market quickly. I don't have to worry about the hassle of payments or collections or regulation. And I can worry about the product I'm selling to, to my consumer. And I think that's, that's really the shift that's going to turbocharge e-commerce for the next five years. 100%.
0: And I know that P-Pro runs some research in-house and you guys release annually a sort of almanac on the latest trends and basically tracking what's happening in the industry. The 2021 uh, almanac has just been released. So do you have any insights you could share with us and offer a bit of an overview on what have been the findings for, for the past year?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean I might sound like a little bit of a broken record because the findings are are are, are kind of aligned with what I've been discussing. But um yes, every every year, people we release um the people Payments almanac. Um we're in, our, we're in our fourth iteration this year, um and obviously it's available online as well as in a hard copy version. Um that's the, the hard copy specifically for our um our customers. But anybody can access the online version through our websites and they can just get a a very high level information of of global e-commerce trends. But the Almanac will go down and I'll give you a breakdown of every single local payment method there is in the world. So not only the payment methods that we offer, but we do research on everything, as well as country by country breakdowns of popular cross-border e-commerce verticals. What are the verticals where we're seeing growth in certain regions? Are there certain payment types where we're seeing increased growth over one another? And I, I think especially in this year's Almanac, the thing that's really stood out for us is the increased adoption of these digital paper methods. There's been quite a significant shift away from traditional cards. And if you look at the two main rails, if you look at debit cards, they're starting to see a lot of competition from e-wallets and bank transfer schemes as well as open bank open banking schemes. And, and that's going to become even more competitive as the pricing reduces from bank transfer schemes and open banking. And then the other major trend is buy now, pay later is just taking over the world. Um, it's growing extremely fast. I think they're going to be competing with, with credit card rails. Um, I think there are, yeah, I think they will receive a little bit of a um, slowdown in 2022 because they're almost growing too fast at this point in time. So it's inevitable that regulations are going to have to come into place and and, um, and just protect consumers a little bit from bad practices. But there's enough buy-now-pay-later solutions out there. And at least the big providers out there have a strong enough base that that's, I think they're quite... Happy to have some regulation so they can cement themselves as as the top binar pay later providers out there, or at least the next the next credit rails.
0: Absolutely, um, it's very interesting because it feels like we're in the globalization era for fintech. Wherever mm, there's a new trend, it quickly expands in, in exactly,
1: all yeah. Yeah, and the and the the funny thing about it is, I I agree. We are in the globalized. Everything is being globalized at this point in time. But the one thing that's not being globalized are local payment methods and consumer preferences. So it's almost the one the one term that I mean. We definitely didn't coin it, but I've heard it a few times over the past few months. Is global. You know, you need to have a global payment strategy. So you need to have global macro strategy, um, and you need to have global reach but it needs to be fine-tuned on a local level. And that's why you need to offer Ideal in the Netherlands. So Fort or Giropay or Klarna in Germany. You need to offer SatisPay and Bancomat Pay in Italy or Impeza and the, the, the mobile wallets in Africa. So you, you need to have all of that um, within your global strategy. So it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting landscape at the moment.
0: So true. So true. Thank you so much, James, for the insights you shared and joining us. Hope to speak soon again.
1: Pleasure. Happy to be on the show and hopefully we'll speak again.